staring you straight in the face. And it's creeping me out. Why are we doing this? I don't know. So this is going to be the, a lot of people actually, when they hear us record the podcast or listen back, they always ask me all the time, mm-hmm. oh, so you guys are sitting in the same room. Is it like a podcast area? This or that. I'm like, nope, nope. Well, Frank and I, we live a mile away from each other and Frank refuses to walk up uh, that, oh, yeah. that hill. It's a big hill, people. Just for perspective, it's a mile long. That's a that's a lot of hill. But also, I refuse to have any video because honestly, I find you too distracting. So I just shut my eyes and listen to you. It's it's too hard to focus on him. I don't know how you all do it. When when I when we started the podcast, I was like, oh, maybe we'll Facetime in. Maybe <laughs> yeah. we'll do Skype or something like that. And we're like, we cannot look at each other. This makes it a little worse. <laughs> Just just for the record, he's really staring me right in the eye right now. So if I'm a little off my game, it might take me a minute to adjust. Got to actually probably just, and maybe we'll say why we're okay. doing this. And uh, so this week we're on campus at Microsoft. Microsoft campus. It's a weird term. It's where the office buildings are. Yeah, I guess it would be a, it's where the, it's a Microsoft. It's a Silicon Valley term. I just wanted to define it for everyone. Microsoft, Campus. Microsoft headquarters. Yeah, I like that. It sounds professional. It's the headquarters where 144 buildings Ooh. are. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, this week is the MVP summit. So Microsoft has an MVP program and that's essentially most valuable professional. Let's go with that. I believe so. I actually got a little trophy for it, and I keep it up on my rack, but I haven't read the words on it. Let's let's assume it says professional. It is a very nice plaque, too. It could be a poltergeist. <laughs> I, I love the plaque. Um, I've actually always wanted to be in the MVP program, and I got to be for the first time in uh, two years now, I guess. I've been an MVP, and I've always wanted to attend these parties, so I feel like I'm finally a part of a club, and it feels fun get to meet all my online friends did you get to meet a lot of online twitter friends i got to meet a lot of online twitter friends and i also got to it's a good time for me to re-meet people because yeah. i meet a lot of people in the community a lot of people that i've pre- met at uh, presentations and conferences previously so like i was just in south america and a lot of people just came up from brazil that's right. Yeah. I, I, I'm amazed by how many people from around the country. I often feel like in the open source.net world, like we're the only part of .net, like the Xamarin thing. Like we have such a little click, such a little bubble that I forget just how many .net and Microsoft developers there are and what a diverse set of skills, knowledge, background, where you're from, everything. It's all up there. It, it's pretty amazing. And also you, yeah, you, you realize that Oh, it's more than just, you know, Xamarin development <laughs> yeah. or SC Sharp or it's, it's all these different platforms. And now it's it's unfortunate we can't talk about anything. That yeah, we... it's all under NDA. They have pictures everywhere. No pictures. Everyone starts their presentation. Don't talk about this anywhere. So if you've been annoyed with us on Twitter in the last week, we apologize. But it's the price for coming. <laughs> it is. And it's pretty cool, though. I really I, I started presenting at the MVP Summit. Uh, about four years ago and that was early on in my presentations at Xamarin Mm. and I was coming and just giving 101 overviews what is the Xamarin technology what is mobile development and .NET like and now we get to actually talk about really cool upcoming features and (laughs) it's a scary but also very friendly and opinionated crowd Mm because I think what's nice is that often when you go to conferences you don't really know who's in your audience that's out there you don't know what they're coming from their background as far as technology but this like these are microsoft developers (laughs) who are coming to the xamarin such because they know xamarin usually and they're there to support and they're excited for new features but they also really give 
their opinion, which is super important back. They're very brutally honest, which that's why they created the MVP <laughs> program because these are people that are diehards in the technology. And it's not that we at Microsoft, since I work at Microsoft, <laughs> like are always appeasing MVPs. It's great to listen and get this feedback early on before we make certain decisions. So is we had this idea and we started doing it is the correct thing. I don't know. What do you think? So we, uh, it's funny enough that the one thing that I ended up talking a lot about this week was dependency injection and construction injection, which is, you know, my favorite topic, Frank, I think you were picking fights, honestly, but, uh, that was the thing that was most striking to me was, um, just how much all the program managers here were kind of begging for feedback, I'm going to say, but I, I think like they're always worried about being in a bubble or something like that. So just want the opinions of everyone. But at the same time, they'll also say, oh, okay, but you're also MVP. So you're a very biased set of people. So we wanted the MVP's opinion, but might ignore others. So it, it, it's fun to see the unfortunate and painful dance all the PMs have to go through to get all the feedback that they really desperately want. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the discussion I had too was, all right, let me explain why and uh, hopefully my uh, why mm-hmm. is enough for you to kind of say oh i get it now and i think mm-hmm. those are the great conversations and in fact you know i was sitting a lot down with them be talking about di and ioc why i don't happen to like it and why there's some trade-offs mm-hmm. and benefits and we did a really great uh q a with miguel were you in that one i was i was you know i i wasn't on your side of the argument to be honest but we'll, we'll save that for another episode yeah I think that, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting, but it's also interesting to hear from Miguel, who's very close to the bare metal of understanding the low. I think because when me as a developer, we talk about building and crafting apps, I'm very high level, (laughs) but there's a lot of low level bits. Yeah, I like to ignore the low level. I don't think it exists. It's all just in our imaginations. Just program at the programming model and ignore all the lower bits. But <laughs> it was fun. Uh, Miguel gave a very low-level technical explanation for James was just uh, making things up. And then Miguel came in and saved the day with a really low-level technical explanation. It was really fun to see that level of knowledge on display. Yeah. And that's how we were. We we had a nice PM panel. All of us, we just turned around. And Miguel, what did you think <laughs> of this? Because when it does get that low level, I, I... I always call myself a mid to high level developer and we talk a lot about architecture decisions on this podcast yeah. as well. And a lot of people were coming up asking about .NET standard. And I was like, Oh man, you should listen to merge conflict a year ago versus <laughs> four weeks ago. And we like, we're like, not yet. And then we're like, yes, everything, you know, but almost on this thing, you know, so <laughs> it was really fun. I was yeah. pretty excited. And besides dependency injection, it seemed like, uh, what, what else was everyone talking about? What did they want to hear from you? I think for us, you know, uh, we ended up talking a lot about, you know, the future of mobile, the future of .NET and C Sharp and F Sharp, where we're heading, where mm-hmm. we're going. And, you know, I I, I kind of closed out a lot of the Q&A because Nina, who's one of our PMs, was asking, like, where do you see the next two years? And oh, what are you yeah. excited about? That's a good question to end on. I like that. Uh, I almost came to tears, actually, because uh, it's a very near and dear topic and then miguel gave one which also nearly brought tears to my eyes because i was talking to that developer who told me the same thing yeah. well, it was about accessibility that's what yeah. miguel's was and we have a, a few mvps that um um have, are blind okay yeah right. and they came up and they're like we build they're like they're like thanks to visual studio and xamarin it's the only way i can build mobile applications because okay. i've tried other ids other tools they weren't accessible but I see. It so they, they were able to make it usable enough that people could do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. For me, I was 
I mean, that's a good question to top up, but I'll tell you what, where I thought things were going, where I was excited and, and a lot came to do, honestly, it was interesting because it came back to this podcast where I thought about the things that Frank gets to do that I don't get to do, but is exciting because you're such on the forefront sometimes of technology. Well, I do that on purpose. I think I've like worked my whole life to put myself in that position. It's, it, it doesn't come for free. You have to work at it and do that. And honestly, I think um, I was laughing at people because I felt like I could jump into a lot of conversations. And so I was really actually thinking, maybe I'm a little too scattered. <laughs> I, I know a few too many fields here. Maybe I should stop spreading out and actually, you know, uh, batten down and focus in on something. But no, I, I like a diverse set of knowledge. And this is actually a fun thing for that because there are tracks and they try to put you on like conference tracks, but the best part of a conference is leaving your track and learning new things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that one thing that was really interesting in me is like when I closed that topic out, a lot of it was the future. I thought it was just what an amazing time to be a .NET developer. Mm -hmm. And then also at the same time, when I look in the mobile space, because it was very mobile specific. And, you know, I think at the end of last year, I was like, I'm just kind of tired i'm like i don't see Aww. innovation i don't see hardware and we then had an episode like that right we did. did we mention that yeah we did but then there was this turning point where there started to be a lot of new things mm-hmm. um really around um ar vr machine right. learning yeah. and then I, I also what was what was interesting is i've seen a lot of things in mobile come and then fizzle really quick but yeah. then i see this reinvention of you know, Google doubling down on AR core, which is now mm-hmm. just hit a one Oh and double down on TensorFlow, And then the things that we're okay. doing around that. And then I see other excitement. I'm like, Oh, I see like yeah. there's still potential in mobile devices. So were you scared that these would be introduced? And in one year we'd be talking about something else. Cause we see that in technology all the time. It happens and we feel burnt by it. Yeah. Um, I still feel like that can still happen. I feel like we're actually going through a V one phase with mm-hmm. all this stuff. And there is going to be a pushback at some point. But for now, let's enjoy the ride and go for that <laughs> first bubble. <laughs> Do you think that we are throwing stuff up against a wall or what? And I think you have to. That's mm-hmm. the only way to progress. And I think it's unfortunate. And I have this debate with people all the time. What's the right balance between throwing something up on the wall and not doing that and just supporting your current set of features? And if I had to live in a world, I'd rather live in the scattershot one. That said, it has to be a balance, right? Um, So I don't want to see products canceled every year. But um, it happens, and you understand it, and you try to write your code so that it doesn't affect you. (laughs) Write those interfaces. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. That was maybe one of the debates that happened in this conference was something around interfaces. Yeah, it's okay. You got to have some (laughs) debates. You got to get feedback on all perspectives, but also then... Yeah, incorporate that back into your product you're building, which is mm-hmm. not too much from software development, you know, not just or app development too, is we learn from our users how we use our apps. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's that V1 problem. Uh, you, you do your best research. You think you know the product you're building. You think you know how people are going to use it. And then you release it and you get that first support email and you realize, oh, that's the feature they wanted. <laughs> or, or, you know, what you thought was going to be a little side feature ends up being the main use case. That's always my most pleasant feeling like did you see all that other code i wrote too no no just gonna use that one button huh yeah okay (laughs) yeah that's how it's gonna work yeah Yeah. i I love i love uh i love user feedback and i think that's why i love the summit is i get to (laughs) hear some great things and also some not great things maybe of how people use my libraries and 
frustration and then it's also interesting because if i don't know something i just send them to you so it's really nice having you here oh that's funny because i was doing the exact same thing so where are these poor people going are they just in some kind of infinite loop and we're the biggest jerks on the planet that sounds about sounds yeah yeah great i I will say uh we did go through a lot of stickers and pins which is great yeah there was actually a lot of enthusiasm enthusiasm for the podcast so thank you everyone for that yes thanks to all of our listeners all of the mvps all of our discord uh, and Patreon users and everyone that's just listening and subscribed. I mean, this has been uh, an amazing run and we're just getting started, I think. Mm-hmm. It, Frank puts up with me. I don't know, man. I think I've been delaying the podcast the most lately. I'm like, hey, it's podcast recording time, but how about later in the week? No. So, James, you're putting up with me too. Thank you. Mm. So, people have been wanting and striving and waiting for us to talk about F Sharp. Are we doing it? Is this the F sharp episode? Finally. It could be. I think uh, we tried this once, right? And I bored everyone to tears. How can we not bore everyone to tears with F sharp? That's a good question. <laughs> well, I guess the first question is uh, why F sharp? Okay. We'll start and, there. And I think that um, what's interesting about F sharp is around, I've heard it time and time again this week, which is why I thought it was interesting about it, is the, the functional reactive programming model, yeah. which you mentioned, I think, on the last podcast, FRP. Yeah, I was actually going around and presenting on this. Um, it's uh, architecture for your apps. We love talking architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually very much related to the view model approach and all that. But what it really is, is a restraint on the source of all your data and how you change that data. So an object oriented, we have all these objects with lots of state, they're all talking to each other, we make our apps and it's a wonderful little world. In this style, life's a little different. You put all your data in one place and you write functions and things to do stuff with it. So it's it's a different kind of mindset you have to be in to write this kind of code. Yeah, so for someone coming from a, let's not even say C-sharp, maybe learning a first language, Any, why, why do you think F-sharp is uh, a go-to? Oh, because uh, it doesn't have curly braces. <laughs> Straight up. Do they not exist? Can you not oh, use th- them? Oh, they're there, actually. Oh. Yeah, actually, under, I'm lying. Uh, under some circumstances, you do use curly braces, uh, notably async code. You're going to mm. get some curly braces. For the most part, though, in your in your really real code, I, I like um, simple, clean syntaxes. And I don't like writing boilerplate code. So this isn't a matter of how fast can I type the code. This is literally how fast can I understand the code. And the less that's on the screen, even though it might have some funky little symbols or something like that, there's a density of information and a clarity of information, both. And I can just um, write less code, not in a code golf style, but in a way that actually helps comprehension. And I feel as though when I was writing F sharp and a lot of F sharp, and I want to just create some smaller libraries, it really did feel tight and precise, but yet readable. And I think mm-hmm. almost because of how a lot of F sharp is structured seems to be uh, new line, but very precise and important white space indentation. Yes. Yeah. So you can, and I know piping is, is a thing that's in it, but mm-hmm. I almost think of this, structure it almost reminds me of link queries not yes. not the from blah 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 in this but <laughs> right essentially when i write a link query i'll say any and then put a dot on a dot. new line and then some people put them in one line not readable <laughs> but i almost think that you're not really doing link query at all but you're using this type of 
processing or indentation yeah. in a way of structuring readable and flowing mm-hmm. code. It's a flow of code. Yeah. It's, in fact, the, usually it's referred to as a data pipeline. Mm. The idea you have a source spot of data and then it's going to flow through the pipes. Isn't that like the internet analogy or yes. something? But yeah, it's all pipes, James. That's how F-sharp works. But what if unicorns get up all in there and start poking holes <laughs> no, in no. the pipes? No, well, it's, it's very confusing. Let's go back to white space just for okay. one quick, quick clarification. Important. Though. Instead of curly braces, it is like Python where um, the white space, your indentation is significant. But honestly, that's a, um, I think it's one of the best parts. And I posted this on Twitter and oh my God, I accidentally started one of those programming holy wars and I, I forgot, you know, I just forgot that this was one of those holy wars. Mm-hmm. But it, it's as simple as um, I like standardized coding conventions, style and all that. Like everyone's code is readable. We're all using the same kind of formatting and it kind of enforces that, that white space restrictions. But I learned some people like it, some people hate it. I didn't mind it. I think the confusing part since there weren't curly braces i got a little bit confused around scoping yeah and i brought this up to philip who works on philip carter who works on the f sharp team uh here at microsoft and i was i said go look at if statement in c sharp Mm. and then go look at your documentation for an if statement here and i go one i feel like those docs should be doing the same thing because that would help me mirrors of each other mirrors and they weren't and it was kind of confusing but I think it was mostly because I didn't do this F-sharp guide, which had a tour of F-sharp. And the tour of F-sharp on the Microsoft Docs is it's pretty nice. Oh, it's, it's good? Okay. It's very good. So they walk through um, how to, what are functions and modules, numbers, booleans and strings, tuples, pipes, lists. Or, so it's very much like, hey, you, know, you, you may know all these data structures mm-hmm. and here's what it looks like in F-sharp. Yeah. The, the further documentation of if and then and else or whatnot was very confusing. If, they, they seem so simple. Then, yeah. It feels weird looking up if, right? Like I do that in Python too. I can mm-hmm. never remember how to use it correctly. Uh, so it feels awkward having to look that up. And then unfortunately, you actually showed me this. The documentation was, it wasn't the simplest example. They yeah. made it a bit complex. And you're like, oh, don't show me the complex example first. So I think that there's, um, we have a slight disadvantage in the F-sharp community in that it's full of a very brilliant, intelligent people. And they sometimes forget the basic steps of um, walking people through everything because they're so gosh darn smart. Yes. <laughs> and also I learned from multiple F-sharp people that it's not an if statement. Oh, no. It is an if expression. Uh, F-sharp doesn't even have statements. What is a statement? <laughs> you don't need them, turns out. I, I, you know, and I I guess my the, the terminology, I guess, is what throws me. Because to me, it could be an expression or a statement. Yeah. I'm talking about the concept of what I'm exactly. doing. Exactly. You're talking about structured programming. Yeah. How do I do sequential programming? <laughs> basic. How do I do basic? And unfortunately, um, because F-sharp is such a good functional language, they often say, well, you shouldn't be writing uh, procedural code. And you're like, but what if? What if I had to write procedural code? What would this look like? (laughs) And I think um, there's multiple ways of learning a new language. And it's often just copy what you were doing in the previous language. And I think you'll often get pushback by all the very smart people who say you're not grokking the new way. But sometimes you have to become familiar with the language before you can jump in with the higher level concepts. I think it's just different for everyone. What do you prefer? High level, low level? Yeah. Pretty high level. And I think, honestly... I still run into that same exact concept that you're stating with new versions of C Sharp, which uh. is 
I know exactly how to code something in a way. So let's say a new, uh, you know, the new outvar in a try parse, for instance. Oh, I use it all the time. That is the one of the best additions to the language. It's amazing. So it's very similar to, I think, how F-sharp can scope certain objects or certain chunks. yeah uh, so f-sharp really didn't like reference variables so they just return the value they're yeah. just like simpler <laughs> yeah so in in the try parts you usually do out but you have to create it ahead of time now yeah. you can just say out var x and mm -hmm. it's in, or whatever and what's cool there is it removes a bunch of unnecessary code and the oh, scoping yeah. works how you would want however i didn't really use it all that often because i kind of forgot about oh. it so you weren't parsing numbers anymore? You gave up on that? No, I was just using the old try parse that I knew, which was yeah. creating it. And then what happened is Visual Studio 2017 uh, came up with when I would turn on those flags and change some features, I would get these little gray dots. Oh, are they doing that? They're like, you should upgrade, James. Try the new language. It's try, better. Try the new hotness. <laughs> did, like, did you know that your code could look even better? And then that's when I started using it. So now it, it's that... It's that tooling and helping, which mm -hmm. is that says, hey, you probably knew this and you probably forgot about it, but let mm -hmm. me just go ahead and do this. Yeah. And then in my mind, that becomes the way I code it. So when it comes to an if statement, I go, I know how to code an if statement. So let me do the equivalent here, which happens to be an if expression, <laughs> yeah. which is okay. And mm -hmm. But I'm talking about the concept. And uh, I think that's where almost the tooling hurt me a little bit um, around Interesting. it. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we definitely don't get that world of, Hey, it looks like you're a C sharp programmer. Maybe you should consider pipelining or something yeah. like that. We, we definitely don't have that experience. So you're going to have to learn this stuff from other sources. The compiler is not going to help you, but what were you referring to specifically there? Anything? I think my problem with if statements was a lot of the examples were all on one line and I don't like uh -huh. things on one yeah. line, but I also kind of forget that it seems as though often in F sharp, since it's a functional programming language, yeah. that a lot of things are functions. <laughs> Turns out, and you have this module. So coming from a C-sharp world, that just means you have a million static methods out there to yeah. learn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because instead of uh, member methods, it's all these static methods. Mm. And that actually goes back to a very old heritage of ML and old programming languages. Some people love that stuff. Other people don't like it. I've... Personally, in my code, I tend to use member methods because mm. it's C-sharp. It looks kind of object oriented I comprehend it nicely. But there's a part of me that wants to create all those global methods, all, all those global functions. I, I try not to, though. It's a style, honestly. Yeah. It's a, so, so would you create a, a module that then has a bunch of functions and you can call in yeah. at any time? Uh, the, the, one of the strongest parts of functional programming and all that is to keep your code modular and not talking to each other. What, what's that cohesive? Um, we just want strong boundaries mm -hmm. between all the parts of our applications. So the nor normal programming technique you use in F sharp is you define some data. That's your input data. You define some other data types, which are your output data. And then you write a bunch of module functions that can transform the data between different representations. Mm -hmm. And so all F-sharp programs in this functional mindset are all just data transformations. Mm. And that's what these methods are. Take some of this data, turn it into some other kind of data. Pure definition of a function. Yeah, and I came to the, I was, I was trying to come from the other side, which is I have this data, and I'm gonna write a bunch of business logic to transform this data 
it all in line. Like that's right. what I want where it's like, no, 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 that's not really what you want to do. And that's when I learned about like, Oh, there's a lot of things that are just, everything is immutable. And I didn't realize, but <laughs> yeah. and it was pretty smart. It's like, Hey, did you know that you may need to make this mutable? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, cause I had a, like an integer or yeah. something like that. And I would try to set it. I yeah. set, I created it and then I try to change it and it's like, Nope, can't yeah. do that. And I was like, Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. is, is there a reason for that? Is it? Yeah. Uh, um, I, just in general, they're immutable by default. That means if once you create a value, it's not going to change. And that's useful in a lot of cases. I think we always mention multi-threaded programming. Mm -hmm. When you're sharing data, data that can change, all of a sudden you have race conditions yeah. and bad things happen. But if you're guaranteed that your data will never change throughout a computation, it's simple. Plus, it just reflects mathematics. In math, when you're writing math in whatever pre-calculus class or whatever, you can't change the value of x. X is x. x it is just x. is x. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's where it comes from that mathematical influence. In fact, Xamarin, <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, uh, Visual Studio for Mac was doing something kind of hilarious uh, for a period. They turned this off, but anytime you declared a mutable variable, one that you can actually change, it would make the whole thing background color red just glowing and bursting out of your scene <laughs> your screen and it's like okay i get what you're going for here you're trying to guide people not to use mutable data but oh my god we we have to do it sometimes and don't put these giant red fonts on my screen <laughs> that's funny yeah and my favorite part actually is when you do some mutable or you set a property you change something your people are probably used to using uh, you know, in this example, you have other number, like a num number equals two. So let number equals two. Yeah. And then you would think, oh, later on, I'll say number equals three. No. No. Well, first you have to make it mutable. Yeah. You if you want to change it. Yeah. You got to do that. They use a lot of arrows, which is kind of one of my <laughs> favorite. It's actually, people, you're like, I'm looking at Frank and I thought that Frank would just be like, I can't believe they do this. But honestly, it makes so much sense. Serious? Yeah, because like I can literally see that. Uh, okay. You, you instead of saying other number equals, it's like other number less than hyphen. <laughs> it's an arrow. It's an arrow, mm -hmm. but pointing towards other. So mm -hmm. it's directional. So it's kind of fun because you're kind of saying like, this is going this way yeah. into here. This is going the reverse. So I am setting other number e not equal, mm -hmm. but arrow into three. I, thought, I think yeah. it's cute, kind of. I don't know. It is, and it actually is making the point. A lot of us, um, especially new programmers, and it's one of the hardest concepts to get by, is what is a variable? Like, mm. is it the object? Is it an alias for the object? Is Like, what is a variable? And I think F-sharp makes it very clear. It's just a holder for an object, and they use a whole syntax to say you're going to put something else there. You're shoving something else into this variable. Yeah. And I, I think it's also a mathematical notation for the few times they ever do try to change a variable. Yeah. And, yeah. And so mostly then they use equal as inequality. Yeah, equality. Indicator. Yep. So uh, two equals three will always say false. And it's just shorter syntax again. It, but not equals equals. Not equals equals. It, uh, I don't believe it exists. F sharp uh, is hilariously capable of overriding operators. You can make up new operators, mm. which can really turn the language into hieroglyphics. <laughs> and um, as far as I know, equals equals doesn't do anything. So yeah, it's just that one equals sign is equality. And I'm so surprised because I think my one critique of F-sharp is they rely a little bit too much on ASCII art for <laughs> all these operators and things like that. I prefer, prefer my uh, more English-based or natural language-based languages, but yeah. whatever. 
I think the piping is where it gets really mm. everything looks like a little flag. Yeah, like someone's a holding flag. up a yeah. flag. Yeah, and and it kind of makes a uh, maybe it doesn't make any sense, but maybe it makes a little bit of sense for the piping. So the idea of piping is well, there's I always got a little bit confused around piping versus pattern matching, or maybe oh, they're yeah. similar. I don't mm, know. Kind of different concepts. So pipelining, I think we've all done. Anyone who's used the command line, you've run something and piped it into another app, like mm-hmm. maybe you cat a file and pipe it into more that's a terrible way to do it but you could do that <laughs> or awk or set or all that stuff so it's just the old unix concept of take some data pass it through a few programs pipe that's where they got that mm. bar character they really just stole it from unix but it's a flag and i don't know if you've gotten to this point because it's directional you've been mm. doing right going data binds yes you can do left going data binds mm. also and that's when that's when the world gets crazy <laughs> <laughs> well and then there's also all sorts of crazy things for those like a less than and a greater than that's not equals so oh. equals is just the one equal sign not equals is less than greater than oh my goodness yeah there's no bar in it that's how you know no bar and then there's <laughs> double bars double bars is or that or. that's is just like c sharp Bar about, bars or. What about double bars with a greater than? Oh, what about triple bars with a greater than? Okay, triple. Oh, man. These people, are tri- have we just piping. lost everyone in the podcast, but triple bars is bitwise or. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, because single bar is used up, so they couldn't have it. <laughs> so it's actually three bars, bar, bar, bar. It's kind of funny looking when you're doing bit math in F sharp. It's pretty fun, though, because you can... Um, you can let's say a list of values you can take those values and pipe it through a bunch of different yeah functions it, almost you can take it's the results link and, on steroids if you yeah. like link this is this is your language for data transformations they knock it out of the park in f sharp i think it's two strengths are data modeling and data transformation yeah and i think if you're working a lot with lists of data mm-hmm. it's bananas like yeah. the you thought link like you said you think link was crazy but the mm-hmm. filtering the sums the maps the yeah. All these tiny little extension are they extension methods? Well, they're module global functions. Oh, I see. Yeah, so and if you were to consume one of these libraries from C Sharp, you would just notice a static class with a bunch of static methods. Mm. But in the F Sharp world, they're basically global methods. They have a lot of syntax. I mean, you want to do anything with this language, they've added to it. It's it's a 10 or 15 year old language. It has every feature. <laughs> I think that uh that's what I kind of was learning was that there's all this stuff yeah. inside of it. They actually went through um, a major syntax breaking change in the early days. F sharp one is quite different from F sharp two. And I was an F sharp one user way, way back. And the syntax wasn't nearly as nice. They didn't use the significant white space we were talking about oh. earlier. So F sharp two, I believe, introduced that. So the language has really evolved over time to honestly meet people's needs they mm. wanted a working engineer's language they didn't want to do just some research project that makes sense yeah and at the same time f sharp is at 4.1 or something like that yeah, right now something yeah it's up there it's in the fours and it's still evolving still yeah definitely yeah. um honestly at this point as a language it's pretty darned mature so just like c sharp it's just fixing all the edge cases mm. keeping the dotnet integration good uh, every so often, a revolutionary feature comes into the compiler, but they're usually a few years apart. Got it. Yeah. My favorite, actually, annotation is arrays. I love how arrays are structured. Like an empty <sighs> array is very Can I tell you my cute. favorite part of the arrays? Yeah, tell me. Uh, the F-sharp compiler is amazing. It's 
hard to work with, <laughs> but what it is as a piece of technology is amazing. So we do all this link stuff. You were piping, so you were doing array map, array filter, array collect, all these different kind of operations. And in normal .NET with link, that creates enumerables, you're allocating stuff, you're filling collections, all of that. The F-sharp compiler is smart enough to look at all those array operations and inline them, figure out the right allocations to do at the right time. And so if you write this very high-level code that's very easy to read and looks like the most inefficient thing on the planet, but then look at the actual code that the compiler generated, and you're like, oh, smart compiler. It's exactly the loop I would have written in C. Oh. And so when I was first using F-sharp, I was literally write some code, compile it, decompile it into C-sharp and see what they did because I wanted, I wanted to write in a high-level language, but I'm a performance freak. I wanted the speed too, and I saw that it had both. So very, yeah, great compiler. It's cool because like when you look at the arrays, when I think of creating arrays in C-sharp, I'm like, ugh, <laughs> freaking arrays. Yeah. But honestly, like, there's actually this, the, the arrays, the slicing, the initialization, like you can do array one dot dot 1,000. It'll create yeah. an, an array of a th one, one to 1,000. I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't even, how do you do that in C-sharp? You got to do it all manually. Yeah, actually, that, that feature is finally coming to C-sharp, oh, but right goodness. now, yeah, it's not there. But yeah. then you can also, in the initializer, write business logic to initialize the array yeah, it, it's so odd because the, because the language doesn't have statements. It actually goes all the way back to that. The yeah. fact that everything's an expression, anything in the language can compute anything. Uh, it just kind of opens the world to possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> and my fun statement about that is I'm looking at an array here where you, ha you have an array of a bunch of words. Okay. And it says create a new array. And for every word in that array, so mm -hmm. a little link here. Yeah, yeah. It says do. So now we're in a for, for loop. Uh. And it says if word contains L then yield word. Mm -hmm. So now it's going to create a new array by looking at another array, finding all the words in that array with the words L inside of it, yes. which means if you modify any of array, it's almost like Excel where you're telling Excel what to do and another cell changes. Mm -hmm. So now this array is going to dynamically change, but everything is in the yeah. quote constructor of mm -hmm. that array. It's bananas. Yeah, we actually have a bit of the syntax in C sharp. We have yield return when we're creating I enumerable functions. Mm -hmm. you, you use those. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't use them so much anymore. Everyone uses link, but they used to be the coolness. F sharp has that not just for I enumerable, but for list, for array, mm. for map. Any of these collection classes can be written in terms of a generator, it's called, and it's super cool. And of these features, I mean, of course, we haven't talked about pattern matching yet. <laughs> yeah. But I think a lot of people, when they talk about F-sharp, I hear them say pattern matching, and then I also hear them say, um, let's, what is the thing called in F-sharp? Type providers is a big one. Type providers, okay. yes. Okay. <laughs> so can you go a little bit more into, because yeah. really, really what we're talking about in this podcast is we're probably talking... Um, I'm assuming a lot of our listeners are maybe C-sharp developers, maybe other languages, maybe new Just to from the general stats out there, I'm going to assume most are C-sharp yeah. developers. Yeah. So to me, the intriguing part here is when we're talking about these features is you can actually just use F-sharp as a library on top of your C-sharp. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's a huge thing. So some of these things we're talking about, it like blew my mind because I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Like this it is can so simplify cool. a lot. So I'll, I'll give a shot at type providers, but I'm not, I'm not the best at explaining okay. this one. The goal here, though, is 
to clean up code generation. So maybe you have a SQL database that you access and you're maintaining a schema for. Mm -hmm. You maintain that on the database side, you maintain a code-based version of it. Same thing for JSON files. Same thing for any API that you touch. You're mimicking a schema that already exists. You're doing it in code. Got it. What type providers do, they're a little bit of magic. And from the data, they will create that schema for you. So you point it at your database, mm. and at compile time, it will generate all the types. But not in some kind of weird post-build step using <laughs> Bodhi or whatever it is. Yeah. But this is baked into the language. So you can use these types. They all get IntelliSense. They all get whatever, the, you know, all the stuff you expect out of a normal type system. But the cool thing is, it's generating those types from data, from whatever, you know, mm. CSV files, JSON, databases. There are type providers for everything. Yeah. And the coolest thing is, um, since F Sharp is such a good data language, it becomes a super easy way to consume data, transform it, and spit it out. What does every app do? <laughs> and you can spit it out to any type of app because yeah you can you, you have a c-sharp app boom mm -hmm. right you know you can yeah. input the data output the data extremely easily i think you have some experience with consuming f-sharp code from c-sharp how have you found it it works it, it works great i mean i think the only i've done the reverse too which is ah, interesting yeah. i've consumed some c-sharp code from f-sharp code yeah. one of my favorites was i was consuming uh xamarin forms native pages so a xamarin forms xaml page from c sharp and xaml into an okay. f sharp application yeah <laughs> and it pretty much worked great besides events mm -hmm. which were a little bit weird in f sharp oh yeah um f sharp let's talk about events super quick yeah. I, I don't want to bore people but um we we all love iobservable reactive programming it's a big topic these days mm -hmm. and i don't if you don't pull down the reactive extensions there's actually very little support for reactive in .NET. There, we have iObservable, but not much else. You yeah. have to pull in a NuGet to get all the other stuff. Well, not in F-Sharp. F-Sharp just comes, batteries included. Uh, for You can pipeline reactive stuff. You can do all your link queries against reactive stuff without consuming a third-party library. It's just baked into the core of the language. And so its event system uh, is actually iObservable backed by default. Oh. So every event is iObservable. So you don't even have to write that boilerplate code. You know, they're just cutting down all the boilerplate code. And so because of that decision, you have to put this funny little attribute on events in order to make them easy to use from C Sharp. But it's a concession just so that we in F Sharp get awesome events. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was pretty, I mean, everything seemed to work. That was the thing that I realized is, like, oh, maybe I could start to take some of this really crazy complex logic and just kind of learn a little bit of F-sharp and you can mm -hmm. create a new .NET standard F-sharp yeah, project. Absolutely, and do and, it, yeah. And and it's what's cool is that I, I guess because I didn't really realize the power of how the CLR run, like the, mm -hmm. how things work in yeah. C-sharp and .NET <laughs> and F-sharp and... It doesn't matter what language is no. piping it through. Right. It, I mean, it's the common language runtime. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it was the feature that attracted me to it the most in the beginning. I was a language nerd. And I love the idea of a common language runtime. Actually, I've been going to some of those um, uh, talks at this conference. <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> Get, I got to meet a lot of uh, programming heroes of mine, oh, language awesome. designers. Yeah.
and a little gloating sorry yeah <laughs> did anders give a talk uh he was a part of a panel mm-hmm. i don't know if he did a talk himself but i definitely went to the panel nice <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, I, I'll let you see my office, and you saw who was next to me. Yeah, of course. So James is in the building of basically all my programming <laughs> heroes. He just kind of hangs out with all the cool people every day. Yeah, L- little no big, no big deal, <laughs> no big deal. I and it's funny because uh, I mean we're talking about programming heroes too. It, it it's interesting because I told the story of how I joined Xamarin and how I met Miguel yeah. and. I'll, and I met Nat and I was like, all right, cool. You seem like a cool person. <laughs> and everyone, then I talked to other people that are like, no, that's like Miguel. The, the, the top man. That's yeah. Miguel. You hit the apex. Go, There's nowhere to go but down from here. Yeah, I hope I you made a good impression. <laughs> I mean, Miguel, Miguel, I love Miguel. Miguel loves me, I think, a little bit. And uh, to me, I was like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know his background or Nat's background. Do we have or... a bell for Miguel or is that just for Marco? Just for Marco. Okay. I did actually in our panel talk about Marco, yeah. which I thought was great. <laughs> And I was like, where's the Marco Bell at? Yeah. Um, and I do love the Marco. I I, I, I don't know. Anyways. So <laughs> what's what's cool is I would I would almost be like you with, with Marco. I'm like, oh, Marco, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's really great to learn uh, about all of these different um, new things that are coming out. But when you hear it from, like, the people that built it, it it's, a, yeah. it's a whole different story. I, I love talking to, and I'm sorry if this is bad, but the old timers and <laughs> the people <laughs> with all the experience, right? Because the moment you say something like, I think I can do live code reloading. And then they're like, here's the 12 problems you're going to run into. And our eight solutions will be interested in seeing your fourth. And you're like, oh, you thought about this a lot more than I have, haven't you? <laughs> I love that, honestly. I love getting schooled by someone smarter. <laughs> well, that's good, though. I mean, that's what's important. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Um, what what are your other favorite features of F sharp or do you have any that you hate? I don't know. Keep it positive, I think. <laughs> I mean, pattern matching, you can talk about pattern okay. matching. So why not just go for the pattern matching? Uh, let's do this. Okay. Um C sharp's getting a lot of these features anyway, so people are going to have to learn this F sharp and C sharp. Uh the the idea is simple. Um there are conditions I want to handle, conditions I don't want to handle. And sometimes that means writing 20 if statements to figure out if that condition is true or not. And we've all done it where you have if this and then indent and you if that, Mm -hmm. indent, if that, indent, if that, indent. And then you have a trail of closing curly braces. (laughs) I think there's a name for that style of code, but it's ugly. We've all written it. Arrow pattern. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, pattern matching is simply a way to condense all that if 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 stuff into one statement expression oops i made the mistake (laughs) and i think it's fantastic because it lets you really narrow into the conditions that you want the data that you want all that stuff lets you pull apart objects has lots of features yeah the first time you see it it's a little confusing because it's i'm sure all sorts of piping and craziness but the it, syntax could use a little work. <laughs> yeah. My favorite is I was talking to Philip and, and I'm talking about these if statements and things like that. And he goes, yeah, you should just use pattern matching for that. <laughs> and I go, yeah. oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Is that the um, best practice? Or? No. Um, I think if you looked at my code, I use pattern matching quite a bit because mm. I think it is an excellent feature and I think it's very readable. I'm all about readability. And I think it's very clear the intent that's going on with a statement. It's called match, by the way. Match? 
match that's pattern matching the statement mm-hmm. or the expression is just called match wow i keep making the mistake but i think that an if expression is actually more readable under the right conditions i me i just want to make the code readable and that sometimes means being close to english you know that kind of thing should i be able to just read out each, each character in this code and should it make sense from an english standpoint and so i think if works if if you're testing a boolean condition if is good for that yeah no reason to use a, a higher level a higher a crazier syntax now if for instance though what you're passing it could be other things or null this seems like the yeah. no yeah <laughs> the moment you involve null you, you put a match on there you start doing some pattern matching because we, we try to keep all the nulls out of f sharp we, we don't like them they're dangerous and it's not even no it's none <sighs> well okay Correct? should we should we do this okay let's okay. try okay oh gosh <laughs> the difference oh, gosh. between null and none no I'll, I'll keep it simple the clr.net the common language runtime it has a concept of null f sharp is a language that runs on the clr Therefore, it must have a definition of null. It mm-hmm. knows what null is. Yes. It talks to C-sharp libraries that can return null. Darn C-sharp programmers being all null, having nulls everywhere. They do it, and it's annoying. Yep. So F-sharp 100% supports null. It has all the same semantics as C-sharp. You can test for it. If you call a method on it, you're going to blow everything up. It's bad. But F-sharp people don't like null. So they invented a more advanced concept of the optional object, and it's really just a wrapper. Mm-hmm. And the wrapper either holds a valid object or it doesn't. It's just like null in concept, but it's not null because null is a dangerous, dangerous little monster. <laughs> and so even the none condition, oddly enough, isn't necessarily null. Oh, it's just a flag, more a flag. like, yeah. Hmm. So that's it, none. It's just our unending war to defeat null. <laughs> What is it, like the billion dollar mistake it was said? It is. And in fact, you know, when you think about null, um, there's a lot of work that Mads has talked about. Yeah. About what are they, are they calling it? I, they're calling it nullable references, I believe, which is a Not, little. Yeah. Nullable references or non nullable? Re- no. Nullable. They're saying that re- this could be null. Yeah. Yeah. Or this could uh, not be null. The, the syntax right now is you put a question mark on it to mean that it can be null. So Got no it. question mark means not null. Question mark means potentially null. So that matches um, our nullable syntax that we've already had for a long time. Got it. And that is awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it breaking every one of my libraries <laughs> because I am totally inconsistent with my null checking. Yeah. I'm like, I literally flip a die to decide whether to null check or not. I've seen some of the tooling around it that they're looking to, to add. And it's, it's yeah. very nice. It's basically, it's, it's not so much that it wants to break stuff. It's right. let's help make more concise code where IntelliSense can yeah. help out basically. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, okay, so. So null's a problem, and F-sharp's really attacking it. Uh, yeah. it. It requires learning this concept called the option object. It's maybe a little annoying in the beginning, but I think you really learn to love that object. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right, so high-level sales pitch for F-sharp. Go. If you're tired of writing all the boilerplate code that we always write, if you're just tired of long syntax for a simple concept that you want to convey f sharp has a lot of syntax to keep things short and that sounds terrible i'm already hating my pitch 
I think this is not the right way to sell the language, but that's what I love it for, just how clean it is. Clean and simple. I like it. I like it. In fact, I think uh, I think it's a pretty elegant language. I'm excited to explore a little bit more and get through all of the F-sharp tutorials. Mm-hmm. So I want to learn it correct and maybe take a look at some of my libraries and Ooh, yeah. mix some things around a little bit. Just take a look. I don't know. Yeah. Well, look. it's nice that they're .NET standard now. In the past, it was a little funky, honestly, referencing F-sharp libraries from NuGet. Things were a little wonky, but now we're all in the wonderful .NET standard world. It's all easy peasy, so... You should feel free to write libraries in F-sharp. This is something I haven't been doing because I've been a little nervous about it. Yeah. But now things are finally all kind of worked out, and you can safely write libraries in F-sharp, and everyone can consume them. Got it. I love it. All right. Anything else you want to... I do. I'm not going to hold you any longer, but if you do want to try out F-sharp, make sure you try out F-sharp Interactive. It's built into all the Visual Studios, all the great Visual Mm. Studios. It's... Uh, a playground for learning the language. It's a REPL. You type in some code. It reads the code, executes the code. All is good. My favorite feature of F-sharp, honestly, is that in IDE execution of code. I use it a lot for um, experimenting. That makes sense. Yeah. So I just want to make sure everyone out there who tries the language tries that too. It's all right there, ready for you to... Yeah, it's built in. You have no excuse. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's basically going to do it for this episode. We everyone, did it. Everyone that's been... Oh. I hope uh, we're, we were exciting, right? Enthusiastic? I think so. Okay. F-sharp. So. F-sharp? Yeah. F-sharp. I'll put some good show notes in the bottom, especially okay. for the guide. Basically, the guide. Is it? It's that good, huh? It's, I haven't seen it. It's a very good guide. Cool. I think it. if you're coming from C-sharp or just or have ever been interested in just the functional way of programming, especially with F-sharp. Yeah, yeah. It's a good guide. So. Yeah, and there's uh, some presentations. I'll, I'll send you the links. Make sure we include them. I believe his name is Scott Wilkinson, and I'm going to feel bad if I got it wrong. But he's really good at the uh, data modeling part. Ah, okay. Show you how here's your business problem. Here's how you would represent that in F-sharp. I like that. And I think uh, it was quite a big epiphany when I first watched him. <laughs> I love it. All right. I think that's it. Who boy. You awesome. Well F-sharp. Done. done. We'll never talk about it again. Or are we talking about F-sharp every week? Oh, we'll talk about it again. F-sharp. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you know what to do. Make sure that you follow us uh, on the Twitters at James Montemagno, at Proclarum, at MergeConflict.fm. Of course, you can support the show in many ways uh, by, of course, you know, telling friends about the show, rating us. Um, if you're using Overcast, you can hit the little star button. And what that does in the app is it actually shows inside of the app to all of your friends on Twitter um, recommendations, which is pretty cool. And I found a lot of cool podcasts that way. So you can do that. And additionally, like I said, rate review. Um, And then if you really want to go the extra crazy mile and be awesome, like all of our amazing Patreon supporters, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash mergeconflict.fm or go to our website, mergeconflict.fm and hit the little support on Patreon page. And what that means is you can give us a few bucks uh, every single month to support the show, but we send you some goodies in the mail, like stickers and pins and handwritten notes and good stuff. I finally got a pin, and the pins are pretty awesome. They're pretty great. James finally let me have one. I mean, he charged me 20 bucks, but he let me have one. But you have one. That's all that matters. You got your hands on it. All right. I think that's going to do it, Frank. Until next time, this has been another episode of Merge Conflict. I am James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.